For WSIU, I'm Kevin Boucher. With winter firmly in place, many of us are coping the way we always do, by adding layers of clothing and turning up the thermostat. But for birds that stay here and don't migrate to warmer places, they don't have that luxury. And I recently spoke with an expert who pointed out that despite birds' lack of technology, they have their own amazing ways of surviving in winter. My name is Jeff Hoover. I am an avian ecologist at the Prairie Research Institute at the University of Illinois here in Champaign-Urbana. Okay. How long have you been with that institute? Wow. Uh, The Institute's been around for just 10 years so far. Um, It kind of morphed into an institute. It was uh, originally I was with the Illinois Natural History Survey here starting back in 1993 as a Ph.D. student and uh, kind of got my Ph.D. Um, There was a position that opened up. I applied, competed (laughs) against an a national group of job candidates and was able to get the position and have been in it since. So I've got a pretty long history with working on birds in Illinois, um, dating back to about 1993. Oh, perfect. Excellent. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, it's, It's winter time right now. And under the umbrella of my big question, how do birds survive winter? First question is, can we assume, Dr. Hoover, that the calorie requirements of birds increase in winter because they shiver? And I understand that shivering is how birds keep warm. So do they need more calories? Um, yes, they, they, they definitely do. And birds operate at a temperature of about 105 degrees compared to our 98.6. So oh, wow. um, colder weather affects all types of living organisms to where you need to get, get enough calories to maintain your body temperature. And so cold weather is particularly challenging for animals, um, but they've got ways of modifying their behavior um, and kind of some of the, some biological mechanisms by which they're able to somewhat deal with the cold temperatures beyond just having to, you know, eat enough to be able to survive the night. That's kind of what okay. winter birds are looking at on a day-to-day basis. Is, can, can I find yeah. enough food and not get eaten by a predator in order to survive whatever night is coming because I can't do anything at night other than roost and try to sleep. Sure. Can you mention some of those? Uh, you mentioned some specific, I guess, physiological adaptations that they use to modify their bodies. What are some of those ways they do it? Sure. Um, one that I was reading about recently, um, which is, you know, kind of fascinating, is it's a countercurrent blood flow system. So uh, to the legs of a lot of bird species, the arteries and the veins are really close together so that warm blood leaving um, the, the core of the body and heading towards the extremities like their feet um, passes really close by to the cold blood that is down, been circulated through their feet and coming back. And so it actually warms the blood up a little bit before it gets back to their core so that it takes less energy to heat that blood to keep their core as hot as they need it to be that, at that like 105 degrees or so. Um, that's okay. one. And, and And also just the fact that Uh, bird feet are very different from human feet in that um, they oftentimes can like do fine in 30 degree temperatures or if if the the foot is maintained at 30 degrees it can it can be done so without it damaging the foot whereas for humans that's definitely not the case oh sure thing i've always noticed about birds especially when i see chickadees or most other birds 
they have no feathers or insulation. Their legs just look bare. So I, my gut reaction is, wow, there must be tons of heat escaping through their bare legs. Am I uh, halfway right there? Um, not really. I, I think that it's a lot of it has to do with uh, they, they just are able to function with their feet at a, <laughs> and, and with their feet at themselves at a much lower temperature. And while, while the blood is being cooled on the way down, it's warming the blood that's coming back up. Um, what so you just speak. said. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've noticed, of course, and I'm sure you have and many people have noticed often when they when the birds roost, they'll kind of sit down and cover their legs and feet with their fluffy feathers on their belly. So that's another way I've noticed. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and the feathers. So the feathers are another mechanism. They're sure. very, very good at insulating. And so birds are very capable of basically fluffing their feathers out on their bodies and doubling almost the, what the bird looks like in size just by having those feathers out. And that creates a much bigger layer of insulation. Think of it like a down jacket oh, or right. something like that on a person. And that's another way in which they can use their their feathers to increase their ability to insulate. And also shivering. I think you had mentioned shivering. Right. Yeah. Um, that's oftentimes something that they do a fair amount of overnight, especially if, if they're trying to maintain their core body temperature. And that can be very kind of energy demanding process sure. as well. My second question, I've noticed down here in Carbondale and probably I think about three hours south of you, uh, I've noticed three birds specifically that I see in winter a lot, mockingbirds and wrens, and sometimes I'll see robins, and I look at their beaks. They're long and narrow, and it's I assume that those beaks are for eating insects and soft-bodied bugs. I can't imagine, though, that mockingbirds and wrens and robins, for example, those beaks can efficiently crack an acorn to feed. Uh, can you address that? How do they survive winters? Yeah, those three species, Carolina wrens, American robins, and northern mockingbirds are all species that are actually resident year-round in um, Illinois. The Carolina wrens typically, and, and, and mockingbirds, <clears throat> tend to overwinter only up about as far as Wisconsin, but their ranges are, 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 are further north during the summer, spring, summer, and fall breeding season. Okay. And you're right. These are species that are not pigeonholed into only being insectivorous, or in the case of American robins, they, they tend to really go after worms a lot, but they'll right. eat it, whatever they can catch. They're able to also eat a lot of fruits, all the kinds of fruits that are on different types of shrubs and trees that kind of become, they, they become very ripe in the fall, and in mm -hmm. the winter they're just kind of sitting there. And so these are the types of foods that these birds, if they're around in the winter, will definitely go after. Okay. Living in southern Illinois and even in, in central Illinois in the last three decades or so, you'll probably also notice that there are some winters where we have days when it's 65 degrees in January. Or, oh, yeah. And I've spent enough time doing research down there in the Carbondale area in the Cache River watershed yeah. and Shawnee National Forest and such in the winter to actually witness how birds will switch on to eating insects when the insects are available. So huh. warm, warmer weather can can kind of create this little mini pulse of, of insects that are available for these birds. But it's kind of a very risky business during the winter, as you can imagine, because sure. 
on the one side where we get these really warm spells, which might keep some of these birds around instead of them moving a little bit south, you know, kind of following a little bit warmer weather. Right, yeah. They might stick around, and then suddenly we have, like, I don't know, two, three years ago, we had one of these Arctic blasts that came down from Canada. I remember. Extended ice storms and, and frozen temper- freezing temperatures all the way down to Mexico. And it lasted for about five or six days. And the amount of mortality in those types of birds, Carolina wrens, American robins, bluebirds are another one, was astronomical Mm -hmm. because while they're able to move 100, 200, 300 miles to get away from cold weather where you have ice covering the fruit that they might try to eat, there's no insects, there's no open water in those situations, um, that's kind of like the the trifecta uh, of death for them in the winter time and they can't, they can't simply move a few hundred miles to suitable conditions when those really big cold spells arctic blasts come raging down through the country and cover as much of an area as, as they have these last couple of decades oh sure and and as i was doing some research of my own uh, in preparation for the interview i read a couple of stories that it Kind of broke my heart. One study pointed out that during these ice storms, birds could sometimes be encased in a, a knot or hole in a tree and not be able to get out of that and die. So just, yeah, another example of mortality with ice. Yeah, I was getting phone calls during one about three years ago from people who run bird box trails for bluebirds in places like Oklahoma and Kansas uh and they're, they were finding bluebirds dead in the nest boxes in the spring because the bluebirds, you know, that's going into a cavity is a place where birds can gain a little bit of thermal advantage for a right. short amount of time. But but if they can't eat and they can't drink and the cold stays for a long enough time, they, they just can't survive that. People were saying, what can we do? Um, they, they wanted to, like, take out warm water or or put, oh, put yeah. water water heaters in places they wanted to buy you know kind of thaw out frozen insects or berries and try to you know do anything they could to save these birds that were dying in mass and it's really there really is no way to other than a really small band-aid yeah, <laughs> approach it, to you might save a few individuals sure um, you can't really do it and so it, it brings me to a point about these birds that are I guess they're short distance migrants where they're, they're, they're kind of flexible in their diets enough that they can stick around. And the advantage to sticking around closer to where you're breeding is that you might be able to start breeding sooner. You might have some advantages in gaining territories and such. So that's the advantage to try to stick around to where you are. But the disadvantage to that is if you have unpredictable weather, which it seems to be, you know, as the as the planet is warming, right? We have not necessarily um, constantly warmer winters. We have sometimes these violent mood swings of weather, where it can be really warm one week and then it can be super cold another. And I think that also can be really hard on the birds that choose to stay around mm-hmm. uh, that aren't a true winter resident. Um, which is another kind of class of birds that really don't migrate or move. They just deal with the cold. Sure. Um, But these three that we're talking about, we definitely see in Illinois and other places in the Midwest following 
a cold or severe winter where you've had at least like two solid weeks of sub-zero temperatures or mm-hmm. below freezing temperatures, we definitely see decreases in their abundances the following breeding season. So for Carolina wrens, American robins, and northern mockingbirds, that's definitely the case. And usually their populations recover within a year or two oh, good. if weather conditions are pretty typical again for another couple of years. A lot of times it's a, it's a matter of moving, you know, moving um, sure. some distance to find a better place. And um, I have a story back in the 90s. Um, mm-hmm. I, was, I was, I'm the compiler for the um, Cypress Creek Christmas bird count down oh. there in Southern Illinois. Right. Um, and there was one winter. So this is, you know, mid-December, late December down in Southern Illinois. We were at a place called Wildcat Bluff, and that's where we would start our Christmas bird counts at sunrise. And right. we were sitting there on a, basically on a bluff overlooking the Cache River watershed at sunrise. And I think we approximated 40,000 American robins flying from the uplands above um, the, the bottomland forest Goodness. over the bluff and down into the Cache River watershed because it was a mild you know, December. And, and so Goodness. the American robins had kept moving south, but had piled up there because there were enough resources to keep them there. But I guarantee mm-hmm. you that if I went back there that January or February, they'd be gone <laughs> and, and probably <laughs> further south. Right. Had moved on. But I'd never seen that many American robins in one place, but it made me think a lot about these types of questions that you're asking for some of these sure. birds that, that, that aren't, able to just switch to nothing but seeds um sure like a lot of the, the winter resident species that, that can sure so something about the robins it I, maybe i have to ask it's probably just in their ancestral dna they it just turns on okay we've got to go to more a seed-based diet right yeah. yes definitely and, and and birds are very good at kind of following laws of diminishing returns kind of um, mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of fancy terminology around it, but basically right. it's, if you aren't getting what you need, then you need to move somewhere. The, the you know, the, the benefits of moving somewhere else outweigh the costs of not finding enough where you are. And so you have to move. Right. Um, and, and of course they, they realize or instinctively know that it takes energy to move. It takes energy to fly 200 miles, but it's probably worth it then if they can do that. Yes. Yep. Yep. And, and. Um, it's uncertain, but the you know you have uncertainty all around, and it's kind of on a daily basis trying to you know uh, do that calculus in your bird brain to know you know am I going to survive the night? Um, do I have enough energy to move? If I move, what am I going to find? You know, there's so many ifs in that um, sure. decision making process. I, I give I give animals like birds that have to figure all that out so much credit for. You know, I don't know that I could figure that out. But no, <laughs> with my <human> brain. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think I could either, especially if it's bone chilling cold. And I know when seven hours when the sun goes down, it's going to be below zero. So I've got to hurry up and do something. Uh, speaking of robins, I've heard the term. Uh, whenever you get a nice, relatively warm day in December, Doctor Hoover, all of a sudden you'll see a robin group come on your house is that uh, is that called an eruption um no that's okay. probably just um them flocking up 
probably because they're, you know, where there's food, usually it's trees or shrubs with, with you know, a ripening fruit or ripe fruit on it gotcha. and a water source. They're good oh. at finding that. And, mm-hmm. and, and so they just end up being a group together. Um, okay. I think in eruc- eruption, that word is more often used when you have a situation like um, snowy owls that, that breed and reside oh. up in Canada. Okay, and yeah. they, they're, they're, they're the, the small mammals that they eat are on a down cycle where there's not many of them. Mm-hmm. And so they will basically move much farther south into the United States than they would normally do during the winter because they need to find food. And so they call that an eruption. Right. As And I'm sure you are aware down here, the news is always quick to cover when we do sometimes see snowy owls in uh, Pope County or Saline County, right. for example. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, go ahead. So I think it's it's a matter of the the um, when you see groups of them coming together in warm weather, it's usually that the warm weather has them out moving about the landscape more than they might normally do, and they're probably drawn to the same types of things. So the, all the, those robins in a group are looking for the same thing, um, and so they end up just kind of by you know the fact that they're looking for the same thing in a group. But then that group is beneficial because there's a lot of um, particularly raptors during the winter that love right. to eat birds, right. um, Cooper's hawks, sharp-shinned hawks, um, those types of things. And having a few more eyes in the group is usually an advantage to avoiding getting eaten yourself. Sure. Yeah, that that seems logical. Uh, and I have noticed, uh, well, we fortunately, we have two, uh, one Cooper's hawk and I believe a red shoulders hawk that they have a nest somewhere near my house. And I'm in a town. I am in Murfreesboro and uh, often I will hear and see these hawks. And it's obviously like the robins there just staying around where the food is. Yeah, we, we, we up here in Champaign-Urbana, I live in um, uh, the village of Savoy, which is just south of Champaign. It's connected to it. We're all kind of, you know, a, a triple city, so to speak here. Right. Um, we have um, bird feeders in our yard. We, we, we planted a lot of shrubs and trees in our yard just because we like having that in our yard. But sure, so do I. The bird, the bird feeders are good at attracting um, birds in the wintertime, and those bird feeder birds attract the Cooper's hawks in the wintertime who um, kind of swing by our yard almost on a daily basis. And so we find feather piles out in the yard fairly frequently. And it's um, kind of one of those, it, it, you know, interesting things to observe mm-hmm. happening. The birds are coming in to get the winter food that we're putting out for them because it helps them survive. But at the same time, it puts them at risk because the Cooper's hawks have learned that there's bird feeders in our yard and the birds come to that and that's their food source. It, but it is all a part of this uh, wonderful and beautiful uh, uh, cycle of life uh, in our ecosystem. Absolutely. Yep. Yes. Yep. Well, pretty much the last question specifically I have is uh, switching now slightly to some of the birds that I've admired for a long time, the, the birds that like to cling to trees, woodpeckers and uh, nuthatches and is it because the majority of their diet, their body, and the way they can cling, they like to find hibernating insects in bark crevices? Is that right? Yes. Um, and, and for woodpeckers as well, they can also um, drill acorns open um, and drill through decaying trees um, 
and, and get at larvae that are hidden beneath the bark as well. So they have a, a very bark-based diet in general, and also they, they use their bills to create cavities that they can use okay. for winter roosting and for nesting um, in different times of the year. Um, but, but you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, there's, they... there's hidden larvae in the bark. There are hidden larvae or insect eggs in the bark. There's also um, overwintering larvae under the bark. Um, all of which are are fair game for these birds that spend time on the tree trunks up and down, running up and down them. Sure. And that's over the millennia. They've just, it amazes me. They can, the way they have two toes pointing forward and two toes, I think, (laughs) pointing backwards, they can almost defy gravity, it seems like. Yeah, you see them going headfirst down the trunk of a tree. It's just really stunning, right? Yeah. Do you have any suggestions on what we can do uh, to improve our yard for birds, and not only just in winter, but all year long? In fact, you mentioned planting shrubs. What would you like to say to people to make their yards more bird-friendly? A wide variety of plants from um, types of plants that attract pollinators, like hummingbirds. You can have hummingbird garden plantings um, in your yard especially fruiting shrubs, non-invasive species of shrubs that provide fruit during the fall and winter. So there's a wide variety of of species of plants that can do that. Um, And then if you are going to put out bird food, so bird, you know, water for birds is important um, year round. So bird baths during the summer, but kind of rinse them out and, and keep them fairly clean. And then during the winter, if you want to try to get something to um, warm the water and keep it open outside. That can be a really important source of of water for birds. And if you're going to feed birds um, with bird seed, I would recommend doing it for about maybe seven months out of the year, seven or eight months out of the year, but avoid putting out bird seed during the summer. Right. And the reason that I recommend that is because Bird seed in the summer oftentimes will attract brown-headed cowbirds. And the brown-headed cowbird, you probably know, is a bird that lays its eggs in the nests of other bird species. And some of the yard birds that you might attract to breed in your yards, like northern cardinals and song sparrows and house finches, likely will get parasitized by cowbirds if you've got um, bird feeders out during the summer months. And summer months are usually months where birds are not constrained by not getting enough food that's when they're you know eating mostly insects the the seeds are more of a just a supplement and they really don't need them mm-hmm. um, and so as much as you know we love seeing birds coming to bird feeders in our yard sure if you can resist the temptation to feed them during the summer it's probably a good thing we have been talking with Dr. Jeff Hoover, an avian ecologist uh, with the what the Prairie Research Institute correct? That's correct, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, this has been a wonderful talk, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of winter we have, which uh, with the global climate change, I bet it makes your job uh, never dull. Never dull. Every winter is different, it seems, um, but we definitely see a tendency towards kind of more mild winters punctuated by these really big and dramatic <laughs> cold blasts that come through. All right. Dr. Hoover, thank you so much, and we'll probably talk to you later. That sounds good, Kevin. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It was fun. 
That was avian ecologist Dr. Jeff Hoover, who works for the Prairie Research Institute at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, and he was talking about how birds that spend winters here in southern Illinois have developed ways to adapt to survive in the cold. For WSIU, I'm Kevin Boucher.